Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Psalm 139, verse 14, amen. The psalmist says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. I will give thanks to you. Someone say, give thanks. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Somebody say, wonderful. Say it again. Say, wonderful all your works and my soul knows it very well amen you may be seated in the presence of the lord i want to preach for a little while using as a subject borrowed from james brown i'm black and i'm proud amen i'm black and i'm proud in 1968 james joseph brown surveyed american society and saw a country that was filled with racism prejudice reeling from the effects of the Vietnam War and the recent assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. There seemed to be a building racial tension that if not released soon would lead to an explosion in the culture and somehow in the midst of the angst of African Americans, James Brown was able to snatch from hopelessness an anthem that provided a collective cathartic release for every sun-kissed brother and sister in the country when he picked up his microphone and commanded them to say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And what might seem like just a song to us from the mountaintop of 2019 was much different from the valley of 1968 because before it was cool to culturally appropriate blackness and African descent was still seen as a source of shame. James Brown told the people who had been trained by schools to believe that their blackness was a biological deficiency and people who had been taught in churches and seminaries that dark skin was a curse from God not to allow others to make them feel ashamed of their blackness, but instead in the face of racism and prejudice that seemed determined to make us ashamed, he told them to defiantly say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And even though it has been 51 years since James Brown issued that clarion call to us who are colored, it would seem that even now we are being forced to deal with American demons that were never truly defeated. When police are choking out and gunning down unarmed black citizens without any kind of punishment. When neo-Nazis are marching on American soil in Charlottesville, Virginia. When Black Lives Matter is being labeled as a terrorist organization. When the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, David Duke, is called a friend and supporter of the President of the United States. When from the pulpit, pastors, preachers, and denominations refuse to decry racism and say that a cry for social justice is false teaching and yet publicly support and defend the most immoral and unqualified president in American history. It makes you want to ask the question, have we really made any progress at all? Because just when it seemed like we started moving forward as a nation, our our racial reality knocked us two steps back. And I know this is not a typical Sunday morning sermon, but the truth is... There are black people all over the country who are wrestling through how to be a Christian when it seems like being a Christian means that I serve the same God as Donald Trump. 
The church is losing black men and women because we are telling people how to get to heaven and how to live holy in church, but not addressing the reality of how we are to live when racism is alive and well still on earth. And what do I do when the culture of American evangelicalism has made it hard for me to be black? And the racism in America seems to be ignored by white Christians. And so it's hard for me to say I'm Christian. How do I live in the tension of what Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright calls being unapologetically black and unashamedly Christian? Is it possible for me to serve Christ and critique the unjust policies of the government at the same time? Can I love God and seek justice for my people? Is it possible for me to live for God? and do it for the culture at the same time and although the common evangelical explanation is that in order for me to truly love and serve God I have to lay down my ethnicity at the foot of the cross I believe that every ethnicity every color and every nation is an expression of the creative genius of God that God expressed himself in creation as a multifaceted God by filling the earth with different kinds of people and a part of us as Christians learning to truly worship God for who he is, is learning to take pride in who we are because of him. If I'm truly going to embrace God, then I also have to embrace who he has created me to be. And for those of us who are black, that means that we must be liberated and empowered by the reality that God created blackness as a unique expression of his creative genius in the earth. That God created black people not as an aside and not as a mistake, but God created us because he has deposited into each people a particular way to reflect his glory in the earth and it is not the will of God that we attempt to ignore our blackness or get rid of the unique beauty that he has deposited in us but rather our responsibility is to embrace who God made us and to praise him for who he has created us to be y'all sleep on me but is there anybody here who can say I'm grateful that God made me me God help me I know we live in a culture that 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 tries to make us ashamed of who we are and makes you think that if you're a little chunky you need to change your body and that if you're a little dark you should be a little lighter and that if you're a little light you should get a tan but is there anybody here that can just pause for the calls for a moment and just say God I thank you that you made me the way you made me I thank you that you created me in your image God I thank you that you breathed into me your breath God I thank you that you anointed me with your power I'm glad that you made me who I am as a matter of fact if you look at the story of blackness beloved especially in the United States you have to admit that the testimony of every person who has been kissed by nature's son is simply this only God could do that God help me you missed it I know it's not black history month but we live black history we are black history we don't need 28 days to celebrate ourselves can you just pause for a moment and think about Jim Crow uh, apartheid in the United States think about slavery think about the middle passage think about racism and lynching in the south think about what happened in Rosewood think about all the things that have happened to black people and yet we're still standing even in the midst of a situation and a system that was created for us to constantly be imprisoned and demeaned as people but we're able to even rise to the highest office
place in the land. You're now the CEO. You're now your own boss. You now are telling people what to do. And your testimony is only God could do that. And every now and then, beloved, you got to stop and give God praise for who he's for who he's created you to be. You've got to thank God that he made you like he made you. Don't allow people from outside of your cultural experience to determine how proud you are of your cultural experience. Nobody else apologizes for who they are. Nobody else tries to change the way they speak to make other folk comfortable. Nobody else embracing their heritage and their ethnicity is seen as a sign of hate for other people. You need to be able to stand up and say, God, I thank you for making me who I am. And whether you know it or not, beloved, this is the lesson that I believe is being communicated in our text. That sometimes it is absolutely appropriate to thank God for making him the making you the way that he made you. Every now and then, it's okay to say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And our text is taken from the hymn book of the Hebrews, the book of Psalm. And in Psalms 139, King David, the writer of the Psalm, writes to give God praise for three simple reasons, beloved. Here it is. God knows him. God is with him. And God made him. David picks up his pen and begins to write this piece of praiseworthy literature that is intended to be lifted when the people of God come together for corporate worship to thank God because in spite of the hell that has happened in David's life, God knows him. God is with him and God made him. Can I give y'all my three little points and I promise I'm in my seat. God says, first of David says, first of all, God knows me. Psalm word 39 is a psalm that is praising God for his omniscience. Everybody say omniscience. That means that God knows everything. So God, David is praising God in the psalm because he knows everything. That means, beloved, that if God knows everything, then he also knows me. God, help me. Uh, and if God knows me, first of all, the psalmist says in verses one through four, that means that God is aware of my adversity. God, help me. Uh, God is not surprised by the trouble that may that might be a surprise to me. As a matter of fact, God knows everything about what I'm going through. And if God knows everything about what I'm going through, then I can trust that eventually he's going to do something about what I'm going through. Is there anybody here who knows that today that believes that God knows what's going on? And if God knows what's going on in your life, that means that you don't have to get on Facebook and tell Facebook your business. You ain't got to get on the phone and tell anybody else your business. You don't have to start venting to people who can't help you, but you can take assurance in the reality that you serve a God that knows everything about what you're going through. Is there anybody here that's ever been so hurt that you couldn't articulate to God in prayer what you were going through? Been so frustrated in your marriage, been so frustrated at your job, been so frustrated in your life that you couldn't even articulate. I'm tired of turning on CNN and hearing about Donald Trump. I'm tired of looking at my bank account and it being the same. I'm tired of people talking crazy about me in the streets and I got to turn the other cheek and behave like a Christian but is there anybody here that's grateful about the fact that when you're tired and you can't articulate your trouble you serve a God that knows everything about you but not only 
Not only does that mean that God is aware of my adversity and my adversaries, but God's knowledge of me means that God knows me intimately and still loves me. God help me. Uh, this means that neither the complexities of my personality nor the details of my secret struggle are an obstacle to the love of God. He knows everything that there is to know about me and he loves me anyway. Let me read verses five and six to you. He says, you have enclosed me behind and before and you have laid your hand upon me such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is too high I cannot attain it David is perplexed by the reality that God knows his sinful propensities God knows the details of his heart he knows his inner thoughts and yet God has enclosed him before and behind him meaning that God has wrapped his loving arms around David in spite of what he knows about him and is there anybody here who can pause to give God glory because you understand that even though you put your good church face on when you come to worship on a Sunday morning you don't deserve to have the love of God you don't deserve for God to appreciate you and to have relationship with you and to pursue you with love but somehow in spite of what he knows about you he still wants to love on you the songwriter says he looked beyond all of my faults and saw my needs and is there anybody here that's grateful that he knows you intimately and still loves you I got to move David says God knows me but secondly he says God is with me yeah God is with me which means that first of all if God is with me I'm never solo in my seasons of suffering yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not going through this season of suffering by myself. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm learning to thank God because he may not always lift me out of it, but he will never leave me alone in it, which means that no matter where I go in life, I've got company. God help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to. But is there anybody here who learned, who's matured to the place where God doesn't always have to get you out of a bad situation, but you're able to rejoice because he'll get into the midst of a bad situation with you. Come here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, our God is able, but if he doesn't, God help me, we're still not going to bow. And is there anybody here who can reject a prosperity theology that says that God is always going to remove pain? and God is always going to take the hurt away. Sometimes God will let you hurt, but he'll sit in the middle of the pain with you and let you know that everything is going to be all right. I don't have to go through suffering by myself. I'm not solo in my seasons of suffering because he is with me. But secondarily, the implication of God being with you, him being omnipresent. Somebody say omnipresent. That means he is everywhere all at the same time. That God doesn't need an Uber or a Lyft or a plane ticket to get to where you are. God is right where you are, right when you are there. He is there everywhere at the same time. And the secondary implication of the omnipresence of God is simply this. Darkness isn't darkness when I'm dealing with the divine. God help me. I know y'all think that's cute and I made it up, but look at verse 11 and 12. The psalmist says... If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be black as night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
and the night is as bright as the day for darkness and light are alike to you God help me David says even if I'm dwelling in darkness if I'm with God then darkness ain't darkness God help me and I don't know who I'm preaching to but you've lived long enough most of you in here to know that bad company can ruin a good location God help me Uh, but good company can brighten up even the darkest places God help me and I've been able to worship God in some of the worst positions in my life because I discovered that hell can feel like heaven when he's holding my hand God help me I know you missed it let me run it back because that was a tweetable you should put that on your social media hell can feel like heaven God help me when God is holding my hand when I'm going through dark places if I've got the light of the world walking with me then even darkness becomes light as a matter of fact I grew up Pentecostal uh, and they used to sing a song in the Pentecostal church that said I'll make the darkness light before thee God help me that's not talking about a flashlight that's not talking about the light on your phone that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that when he walks before you into dark situations even darkness becomes light before it I got to quit David praises God because God knows him and because God sees him but while David is celebrating the omniscience of God and the omnipresence of God The Bible says that he pauses in verse 13 through 16 seemingly at random to give God praise for how God has made him. And here is my sermonic argument. I I want to be clear just in case somebody gets on the podcast or somebody wants to evaluate the sermon. I want to I want you to know I've been educated. Well, I know how to preach. I I can interpret text. David is not talking about the reality of blackness. In this particular passage of scripture, David, uh, although he probably was closer to our complexion than the complexions of his modern depiction, David was not talking about blackness when he talked about the beauty of his birth. But the principle of the text is simply this, that every now and then I've got to praise God for who he is by thanking God for who I am because of him. And for those of us who are black. That means embracing God means learning to celebrate him for the beauty of my blackness. God help me. I know y'all don't like this. Uh, uh, This is important for us because for years in the country we've been trained even in the church to see our blackness as something that we needed to overcome. Something that we needed to overlook for the sake of a false sense of unity that is really conformity to the dominant culture of whiteness that is that exists in the church at the expense of our own unique expression. But I want you to know that true unity happens when we are able to be ourselves authentically and and, and display uh, who we are at the same time while giving God glory as a collective people. In other words, beloved, unity in the church will be displayed by who we worship and not how we worship. God help me. Unity comes not when people declare that they don't see color but when they recognize the beauty of us as their brothers and sisters not as something to be culturally appropriated but as something to be celebrated because it is an expression of the genius of our God. David says I will give thanks to you For I am fearfully, God, I feel like preaching, and wonderfully made. 
He, he says, I, I will give thanks to you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And when David lifts up this psalm of praise, he's giving us God's permission and divine directive to say it loud. God, help me. I'm black and I'm proud. Yeah, uh, he, he's giving us permission to, to glory in God's creative genius. And I got three reasons, uh, and, and I promise I'm in the text. I need my Bible to preach. I'm exegetical by nature. Uh, uh, I, I got three reasons why I'm black and I'm proud. Y'all going to roll with me, and I promise we'll get up out of here. Uh, number one, the first reason why I am black and proud is because I understand that I am who I am because of who God is. God, help me. I am who I am because of who God is. That my blackness is not just beautiful because it is blackness. Just like whiteness isn't supreme just because it's whiteness. Uh, But what makes me beautiful and black and equal with my white brothers and sisters is the fact that I am not more black than I am Christian. But I was made black by the same God who made me Christian. God, help me. That the same God that called me to himself is the same God that while I was in my mother's womb, He took the deoxyribonucleic acid of my mother and took the deoxyribonucleic acid of my father and put them together and could have made me any complexion in the world. But when I came out, God help me. I might have been light for a few days, but after a while I darkened up. God help me. Is there anybody here who's glad about the fact that everything I am, I celebrate it not because I am it. I celebrate it because God did it. God help me. Oh Lord, and let me pause there just in case a few of you are getting ethnically uncomfortable because everybody want to be black but black people. Everybody like blackness except black folk nowadays. Well, let me help you. If you can't give God praise about being black, can you give God praise about where you are in life and know that everything you are, God made you. Everything you know, God taught you. Everything that happened to you, yeah that was good God did it is there anybody here who can say I am what I am by the grace and creative agency of an almighty God Uh, David says I will give thanks to you (laughs) yeah yeah he he doesn't say uh, God bless him I'm going to thank Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, doesn't say I'm going to give thanks to James Brown. Doesn't say I'm going to give thanks to Malcolm X, Cornell West, Michael Eric Dyson, uh, Howard Thurman, James Cone, Michelle Alexander. Uh, those are all names, by the way, that you need to know if you are a black Christian. Uh, uh, he doesn't say I'm going to give thanks to them because they simply pointed out the beauty of my blackness. I'm going to give thanks to God. Because couldn't nobody do this but the Lord. God help me. And every now and then you need to reject the spirit of low self-esteem. And when you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, couldn't nobody do this 
but the Lord. You, you ought to be able to look back over your life and think things over and look about all, look at all the things that you've gone through and all the things that you've survived and be able to say, couldn't nobody do this but Jesus. I, I, I'm going to give thanks to you. <laughs> he says, I'll, I'll give thanks to you. <laughs> but then secondly, I'm black and I'm proud uh, because my value comes not from man's assessment, but from God's investment. God, uh, my, my value comes not from man's assessment of me, but of God's investment in me. Lord, have mercy. Uh, he says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. Now, now can I help you? Uh, uh, most of us don't have a hard time acknowledging that the works are, of God are wonderful. What we have a hard time acknowledging is that we are one of the wonderful works of God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, see what, what society and modern theology has done is it's caused us as black people in the United States to feel like we were less than human. Because if you removed us from the hand of the creator, then you had a right to dehumanize us and call us three-fifths of a person and to treat us like we were property and cattle. But when you really look at the Bible and you see that the same God that knit you together, Lord have mercy, uh, knit us together, Lord have mercy, then you have to acknowledge that we come from the same substance and are worth the same honor because we are two made in the image of God. Oh God, and I, I'm not trying to turn this into a debate about abortion, pro-life versus pro-choice, but it is interesting now uh, that most Planned Parenthoods and abortion clinics find their homes in African-American and impoverished low-income communities uh, because you don't put them in communities with white people because you think that they're better God help me but there's no harm in ripping apart a black fetus God help me there's no harm in ripping apart a black baby moreover you put Planned Parenthood in economically impoverished places because you know that because you've robbed black people of economic opportunity and they don't have have the money to take care of a baby once it's born they're more likely to abort a baby before it's born so you can't be pro-life in the womb and not be pro-life after the womb if you want these women to keep these babies then you need to create a system where they're going to be able to take care of them after they're born you can't care about a fetus and not care about Trayvon. You can't care about a fetus and not care about Tamir. You can't care about a fetus and ignore Eric Garner when he says, I can't breathe. You got to breathe your life in every aspect of life. And my value comes not from the assessment of the police department. It comes not from Ron DeSantis. It comes not from Lenny Curry. It comes not from Donald Trump. But the assessment of my value is determined by God when he created creation and saw me through the foresight of his mind and said that everything that I've made is good. He says, I am fearfully, Lord, help me. 
and wonderfully made. Oh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I, I knew uh, that Dr. Brian Shaw was coming, so I had to do my homework on the original language of the Hebrew Mesoretic text. And uh, in the original Hebrew language, it's translated not fearfully and wonderfully. It's translated, I am awesomely wonderful. God, help me. I, 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 I am awesomely wonderful. I, I will praise you, O oh God, for I am awesomely wonderful God help me and I dare you to look at your life even with all of the things that you don't like about yourself even with your less than perfect job your less than perfect marriage your less than obedient children your less than perfect credit and say in spite of it all because God made me I am awesomely wonderful I am full of wonder I am marvelously complex God help me you can't figure me out. You, you can't put me in a box. God, help me. Uh, uh, have you ever wondered? I just want, I want to preach value uh, to my people for a moment. Have you ever wondered uh, that black people uh, are creative, but we don't have to create a thing to take it over? Uh, that another race can invent basketball uh, in Canada, but it took a Michael Jordan, a Wilt Chamberlain, a LeBron James to revolutionize the game. Uh, that slave masters, God help me, gave us pig's feet and chitlins and neck bones, God. God help me but we were able to turn it into soul food restaurants and create billion dollar empires oh let me bring it home theologically for you that slave masters and Willie Lynch tried to make us Christians to keep us enslaved but black folks started reading the Bible and found out that God wanted us to be free that white people gave us Christianity to put us in chains and they talked about our preaching said it didn't take all that but it took a black preacher to grab a mic and get a ham and organ and say, ain't he all right? I, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, number three and I'm done. I am black and I'm proud. Number one, because I am who I am because of who God is. I'm black and I'm proud because my value comes not from man's assessment, but from God's investment. But then thirdly, I'm black and I'm proud because even when men attempt to minimize me, I know that I was made for more. He says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And the end of verse 14 says, and my soul knows it. God help me. Huh. Let me pause there. He says, my soul knows it. Notice that the psalmist does not say my mind knows it. He does not ascribe this knowledge of his value, Coriana, to his cognitive capacity. He does not put the pressure on his mind. To understand that he has been gifted by God. But he said that even when he goes crazy, there is something on the inside of him 
that knows that his value doesn't change based on the vicissitudes of life and the inaccurate assessments of people. He says that my soul knows it. And I just want to ask you if you know some stuff down in your soul. God help me. Uh, too many of us are intrigued by engaging our mind. And that's why false doctrine is so easily accepted. Because when you can dress up false doctrine in articulation and eloquent speech, then it's easy for people to accept it when they're impressed by your charisma and the way you speak. But when you know stuff in your soul, your soul will give you confirmation about whether or not something is right or wrong. When somebody tells you that you're nothing, when somebody tells you that you're worthless, when somebody tells you that you're ugly and that you're broke and that you're going to be that way alone for the rest of your life, when you know something in your soul, your soul will cry out from the inside that you can't minimize me because I know that God has put more than that on the inside of me. And is there anybody here who knows some things deep down in your soul? Oh God, I wish my grandmother was here because she would tell you I know some things down in my soul. As a matter of fact, she used to sing a song, I know the Lord, God help me. We'll make a way. Yes, he will. Is there anybody here who knows some things down in your soul? I wish my pastor, Dr. Selwyn Quentin Backus from Salem Missionary Baptist Church in Omaha, Nebraska was here, 3221 Lake Street, Omaha, Nebraska, 68111. Because if Dr. Backus was here, he would tell you, I know some things in my soul. I know that in spite of a bad situation, in spite of a crazy government, in spite of a wicked White House, I know in my soul that the Lord is all right. And is there anybody here who knows some things down in your soul? You know, God have mercy, that God made you for more. That when people try to minimize you and tell you that you're always going to be the employee and never the employer, you know some things down in your soul. When people try to tell you that you're less than human, when the police pull you over, young black men, and try to treat you like you're guilty until proven innocent, instead of innocent until proven guilty, God told me to tell you, you got to know some things down in your soul. And David says, my soul knows it. Uh, but my soul does not just know it. He says, my soul knows it very well. God, help me. Uh, uh, oh, I'm not trying to be deep. Uh, I'm just trying to be direct. I'm not trying to be clever. I'm trying to be clear. But I want you to understand something. Uh, the, 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 the implication, David, of the text, when he says, I know it very well, it is implied then that David is constantly rehearsing to himself what he said about himself in verse 14. That in order for him to know it very well, it is like Psalm 1. It must be meditated upon day and night. Uh, that I've got to constantly remind myself, Lord have mercy, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that the works of God's hands are wonderful. David is saying that you're not just going to hear one message from Pastor Josh and wake up tomorrow and say I'm black and I'm proud. And everything's going to be alright. And CNN ain't going to bug you. 
you when you see that Donald Trump is tweeting at brown skinned sisters and telling them to go back to the countries of their origin when white people stole this land from Native Americans in the first place you still gonna be mad you still might be broke you still might be irritated but David says that you can't just know it you've got to rehearse it so that you know it very well God help me uh, you've got to begin to repeat what God has said about you in the midst of heartache in the midst of trouble in the midst of pain in the midst of problem in the midst of trial in the midst of tribulation in the midst of hell in the midst of how water you've got to be able to repeat I am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful all the works of your hand and my soul knows it very well yeah yeah I, I, I've got to quit uh, David says yes I do I, I do I, we got to go to the cookbook at 2 o'clock for Brother Holloway uh, uh, he, he says I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Lord have mercy uh, wonderful are your works and my soul he knows it very well uh, he says look here you've got to know <laughs> uh, oh oh let me give it to you this way uh, when David wrote this it was a song but after David wrote it it was canonized into the Hebrew Bible what we call the Old Testament and then recanonized into the Christian Bible which means that this beloved if you believe in the authority of Scripture if you believe that Scripture is inspired by the Word of God or by the voice of God uh, if you believe that this is God's Word on this page then that means that this is not just what David says about himself this is what God declares about you that David was speaking prophetically not just about himself but God wants you to know that David wasn't just fearfully and wonderfully made because he killed Goliath that the Hebrews who read this were not just fearfully and wonderfully made because they were the people of God that if you are in Christ God help me uh, if you are a part of the family of God then this is God's declaration about you which means that you have to decide whose report you gonna believe God help me because every day you got a preacher preaching to you you got preachers of self-doubt and low self-esteem you've got preachers of depression and despair You've got preachers that tell you that you ain't nothing. Your mama ain't nothing. They ain't nobody in your family ever been nothing. You ain't going to be nothing. Divorce runs rampant through your family. Everyone in your family is a cheater. Everybody in your family is a whoremonger. You'll never be able to be anything. you got preachers preaching that false gospel to you. But you got a true gospel in the word of God that says in spite of what the preachers of the world are preaching to you, I'm telling you that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and I just want to raise a question for you before we dive too deep into this series whose report are you going to believe God help me 
Who are you going to believe? Whose testimony are you going to believe about yourself? Because God wants you to know, God help me, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, I, I, I thought that that theological explanation would help you, uh, but I brought back up with me. Uh, this week, uh, my, my, my children go to school, uh, uh, VPK, uh, pre-K, and uh, I dropped my son off on Wednesday morning, uh, picked him up Wednesday afternoon. When I picked him up Wednesday afternoon, Miss Tanya, his afternoon teacher, pulled me to the side and said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I said, oh, Lord, what has this son of mine done now? Oh, she said, oh, it's nothing bad. I just thought it was funny. Uh, you, you understand my son's name, his legal name, is Joshua Jerome Eggerson Jr., right? Uh, the junior is where we get his family nickname, Juju, right? We call him Junior Juju, right? Uh, his name is not Judah, uh, even though I might call him that sometime. It's not Judy. His name is Joshua Jerome Eggerson Jr., and because of that, we started calling him Juju, right? Uh, and so at some point uh, in my son's short uh, 36 months of life, uh, he decided that he didn't want nobody outside of his house to call him Juju. Uh, he decided that his name was Joshua. So I, 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 I went to the school to pick him up. Miss Tanya pulled me aside. She said, uh, Pastor, I thought you'd find this funny. Uh, we've been calling him Juju all this time. But this morning when we were getting ready to go to the playground for recess, I said, Juju, come on. He stopped in his tracks and said, my name is not Juju. My daddy named me Joshua. God help me. You, you missed it. Uh, 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 let me run it back. They were calling him to get in line. And while they were calling him to get in line, they called him by the wrong name. And he started to run too. But then something in his mind reminded him that on my social security card and my birth certificate, my name is not Juju. But not just anybody, my daddy named me. God help me. And I got emphasis for that because my wife did not want a junior. Her brother is a junior. She said, all juniors are jacked up. I don't want no junior. Uh, but his daddy named him, Lord have mercy. His daddy named him Joshua. And I want to submit to some of you that the world is calling you by a name that your father did not give you. Lord, help me. And you need to learn how to respond to the right name. God, help me. You need to learn how to say, when they call you worthless, my father didn't give me that name. When they call you broken, come on, Mike, let's have church. You need to be able to say, my father did not give me that name. When they say you can't make it and you call you a failure, you ought to be able to say that my father did not give me that name. Is there anybody here in Faith Restored? on a Sunday morning that can say I'm not going to answer. I told y'all we black black. So that means I'm going to preach like this for five weeks. So if you can't take it, you might want to visit another church because my father didn't give me the name of cool, calm, and collected. He didn't give me the name of Joel Oystein that this is my Bible and I can have what it says I can have. But my father made 
made me a black preacher. And since I'm a black preacher, every now and then I'm going to sing my sermon. And I want you to know today that your father has given you a good name. They might call you worthless, but you need to declare that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. They might call you broken, but you got to declare that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. They might call you a Negro, might call you colored, might call you the other N-word, but you got to say that my father has declared that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And every morning when I look up at the sunrise, I need to thank the Lord for making me fearfully and wonderfully made. Every now and then with sickness in your body, with pain in your heart, with no money in your pocket, with tears in your eyes, you ought to be able to touch yourself and say wonderful are the works of your hands and my soul knows it very well. Trump is in the White House and he's probably going to win again if the Democrats don't get it together. But my soul knows it very well. The Senate won't raise the minimum wage and won't give affordable health care to the people of the United States. But in spite of that, my soul knows it very well. What does your soul know? How are you able to have peace in the midst of the storm? What does your soul know? How are you able to praise the Lord in the midst of your pain? What does your soul know? How are you able to thank God for everything that he's doing in your life? Because I know in spite of it, God is good and his mercy endureth forever. Is there anybody here in Faith Restore on a Sunday morning that can praise God because he's good and his mercy endureth forever. You gotta know when they see us, they see three-fifths of a person. When they see us, they see somebody that's not made in the image of God just like them. When they see us in the courthouse, they see thugs, people who are guilty before the jury even renders their verdict. But it's not about what they see when they see us, but it's about what God sees when they see us. Now, David, I was about to call this message different. I was about to name it something else. I didn't want to name it I'm black and I'm proud because I didn't want to offend anybody. But the name that I was going to call this message today was not when they see us, but when he sees me. Because the psalmist says, when God looks at you, he doesn't see a criminal. When God looks at you, he does not see a thief. 
thug. Let me bring it home. When God sees you, he doesn't see a promiscuous woman or a whoremongering man. He does not see you as what society has said you are. But when he sees you, he sees that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That you are mighty in the works of his hands. Pastor Josh, I need you to clean up this theology. I need you to clean it up for me. Because now you're saying that everybody and everything is fearfully and wonderfully made. But what does that do about original sin in creation? If Adam, through original sin, messed up the earth. If Adam, through his transgression, through God's good creation, into chaos and shame, then how is it that I'm able to claim the victory of Psalm 139 and say that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made? I'm so very glad you asked me because you gave me an opportunity to make a Baptist exit. The reason why, in spite of my sin, I'm able to say I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Y'all know where I'm going, don't you? Because one Friday he died. Didn't he die? They marched my Jesus up a hill far away to an old rugged cross. It was the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and the best for a world of poor sinners was slain. Can I tell you what they did? They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders and he died. Died. He died. He died till the moon drip red in blood. He died until the earth got to rocking and reeling like he had just come out of ABC liquor. He died until the Roman soldier said, surely, yes, God, this must be the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of God. Is there anybody here who's glad today that because of Jesus, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So can I ask you a question? Ain't it all right? Ain't it all right? Say yeah. Say yeah. Say yeah. Say yeah. Yeah. Oh.